This is the Houston Football Show, brought to you by the Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge, with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. Welcome to episode 10 of season one of the Houston Football Show. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Braddock, along with me as the NFL insider for Pro Football Network and here locally in Houston, Texans insider for KPRC2 and Sports Talk 790, Aaron Wilson. Welcome in, Aaron. Thank you. And we also have Jonathan Danger Cole, one of the two producers, him and Mark Larson from iLogic Media. Uh, Danger, we appreciate you being with us tonight. Cheers, my friend. <laughs> it sounds good. All right, well, let's get it rolling. You know how we typically do here, episode 10. We take a look back and week three review with the Chicago Bears game, and then we'll take a peek ahead to week four with Aaron uh, and look at the um, Los Angeles Chargers come in to NRG again, as they did at the end of last season. Now, Aaron, looking back at this Bears game, main thing I want to start with, and you were at the press conference this week when Lovey answered questions about the 0 for 4 on the third and one situations in this game. Uh, take us through uh, kind of how it was positioned and Lovey's response to that. Well, you know, one of the things he said was, let's focus on the positives, but there weren't a lot of positives when you have, you know, that kind of situation where, you know, you're failing in these critical, critical situations and your quarterback you know, in the fourth quarter, just, you know, making bad decisions, open wide receivers forces it to Rex Burkhead instead of Brandon Cooks, who was open on this occasion. Other times earlier in the game, he did try to force it to Brandon and resulted in an interception. And he had been doing a good job of avoiding turnovers until this week. And so, you know, that's concerning. Uh, and, you know, they have, Earn their record, the 0 2 and 1. They could very easily, and a lot of the players feel this, uh, that they should be 3 and 0. And it, I agree. Uh, I think these were some very winnable football games, and you know they've squandered these opportunities. My thoughts on Lovey's explanations. You know, they, he's never going to second guess Pep Hamilton. He's not going to be highly critical generally of his quarterback. He was critical of the tackling, and rightfully so. And they gave up 281 rushing yards, and he was, you know. Definitely not not happy about the linebackers, but at every level there were missed tackles. D line, secondary linebackers. But you know, to your original point about the third and ones, you know, you've got to have a better plan for these, and that isn't just on the quarterback. That's on Pep Hamilton too. So, you know, it's a shared culpability for these shortcomings, Jason, and missed opportunities. And I think they're getting to a point now where some frustration begins to set in. The players know that they can win these games, but you know there's some things you want to look at in terms of fourth quarter. How tired are they? He does not substitute a lot. He doesn't really believe in substituting a lot other than the defensive line. So you're seeing a lot of guys playing every snap, and I question, you know, I don't think it's lack of conditioning. It's just anyone would be tired playing that many snaps. And they're not that unusual. A lot of the league is doing that where guys play a ton of snaps. I think it's a factor in everything. 
Yeah, I think, I think mostly yeah, mostly those guys taking those heavy reps of secondary and your your base linebackers. But even that on the base, we saw a heavier rotation uh, with Jalen Reeves and Maven, Garrett Wallow and Blake Cashman getting in the mix there. But I think you bring up valid points. And one of the valid points you brought up, you talked about the rushing yards given up. And I think you start to get fatigue when you keep hearing the team and press conference say that, hey, you you know, we got to clean up the missed tackles. We got to stop the run. Well, you're three weeks into a 17 game season. At some point, it's not we've got to. It, there needs to be results, results on the fields. And I don't think we're seeing those results in these areas. Khalil Herbert, 20 carries, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Missed tackles was a focus going into the game. It was still a, 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 still a problem and an issue in this game. Texans have the most missed tackles in the NFL it's not even close do they clean this up or is it more about personnel or does uh technique scheme where does the blame fall at this point you're when you're the worst at something the blame definitely falls somewhere right they were talking about getting into some tackling drills and when I asked Lovey about that he said you know everybody knows how to tackle it's about wrapping up and bringing the guy down and you know guys are getting yards after contact he said it's one thing if it's like a 10 yard game but these very long gains. It's not only the missed tackles, it's lost containment, yes. failure to set the edge. And that's on the defensive ends. That's on a lot of guys, but the holes are bigger than they need to be because sometimes where Lopez, they've been able to lock him up at the line of scrimmage. Malik Collins is a gap shooter. Sometimes when you try to shoot a gap, you don't make the play. The hole gets bigger. Great point. So that's one of the bigger issues with the runs up the middle. But most of the runs are outside. And a lot of that, is on the defensive ends, on John Grenard, on Jerry Hughes. You saw them miss tackles on Justin Fields' scramble. But very seldomly are you going to play a team where the quarterback is that bad at throwing the ball. Right. Great and point. So this was just such a winnable game, and you don't often lose the backup running back – or sorry, lose the starting running back, David Montgomery, to knee and ankle injuries, and you put in Khalil Herbert – and he's just as good, if not better. I mean, it's, I would say, embarrassing. I, I kind of wish I'd phrased the question that way because I think guys would have said, yes, it's embarrassing. Uh, you know, they said it sucks. They said it's below the standard. It's unacceptable. Everything you could pretty much think about. And I think their pride is stung to be losing these games and losing in this fashion. And if it doesn't get better, you know, there will be changes. And you saw the depth chart. Blake Cashman is now listed as a starter with Kevin Pierre-Lewis on the injured reserve with a groin injury. Saw Garrett Wallow play only a few less snaps than him. Garrett was in a lot on goal line and some other situations. Right. So they're starting to sub a little bit at linebacker. But the guys that are not getting it done, you know, Christian Kirksey, lots of missed tackles. Kyle McGruder-Hill's got to make more tackles. They've got to make more you know, big plays where they're stopping him at the line or for a loss. Yes. And they've got to tackle better. But it's a defense that's small at linebacker and relatively undersized for the interior line. They emphasize quickness. And, you know, I don't know how well built they are to stop the run. And, and, when the, and, and to go back on a point you made earlier, Aaron, when, with that contained and getting those edges, a lot of times when these DNs are – 
designed to go inside or they're going inside, there are linebackers or in some situations, safety's coming up to fill that void behind them. And like you said, even these linebackers are giving up contain. As great as Jalen Petrie played, and he's young, so I mean, you give a little bit more grace, especially how well he's playing and uh, how quickly he's developing. But I mean, the Khalil Herbert touchdown run, the first one, uh, he spins off inside when he's the last bit of contain on the outside. So yeah, it's is I think the frustrating part is is throughout the entire team that even when units or players are playing well, they make the mistake. One person makes a mistake that is critical. And and at this point, three games in, it, it, it does become uh, untolerable. Now, going back to Davis Mills, you did talk about uh, him throwing those two picks and on the road in his career, five touchdowns, 11 interceptions, protects a little bit more at home, uh, 14 touchdowns, one interceptions. We'll get the Chargers at home again this week. We'll talk a little bit more about that later and how well he played in that game last year. That being said, these two interceptions, they were both tips. Um, and Davis Mills trying to fit one into a, a tight window. Another one um, there, the critical one there late in the game, it does get batted by former Texan Angelo Blackson and picked off by Roquan Smith, who was just an absolute beast in this game with 16 tackles tied with Jonathan Owens of the Texans for the league lead. All that being said, uh, he, you look at the wide receivers and tight ends, wide receivers are second in the NFL with five drops second most drops in the NFL, the, the windows in these games uh, for the wide and wide receiver and tight ends, they're, they're very small. Davis is trying to fit it in. Now to your point, the Rex Burkhead and the tip Blackson pass for the critical pick late in the game. Yeah. Farrell Brown, he's looking at him and he turns around. You throw that with anticipation, take the quick first down pickup. That's on Davis Mills. I completely agree with you on that, but grand scheme of things, the third and seven to Philip Dorsett backed up in his own end zone, third and 10 goes, gets off of that first progression like he did earlier in the game to hit Chris Moore for a big gainer. This time he hits Pharaoh Brown for a big gainer uh, there in the fourth quarter. So there were some throws, especially in the road, road in big moments, and the interceptions have to be cleaned up. But was this as bad as a, a performance for Mills, as the stat line says? No, he it isn't because if you look at, like as you just illustrated, there were some plays to Nico Collins. There were some plays he made. Yes, they – Managed to take away Brandon Cooks, and I, I'm not sure that that's all on Davis. I'm, I'm not sure mm. how great Brandon played. I, I wouldn't right. say this was to his high standard. He would tell you that. When you look at what happened here, there was a series where he was in a nice rhythm, and he was finding the guys, and he looked much better than Fields. Who looked like the first-round draft pick, Fields or Davis? <laughs> that's a great – I hadn't thought about that, but that's well said. Well said, absolutely. Thank you. I feel like – he is not hopeless. Just and, and I, because this is our climate, everyone's reactionary. Everything's terrible. This ain't it. He's not the guy. He can't do it. That's all you're hearing. What if he gets better? What if he grows from some of these things? Is he hopeless? No, I, I don't think he is. I think he can be coached. I think he's a coachable young man. I think that he has some tools. What would help him? Again, I'm not a coach, but I believe this would help him. He needs to take off and run a couple times a game. That's if fair. He does yeah, that, like they that. will respect him a little more and the threat that he might run. They need to increase the running. They need to play Damian Pierce more, in my opinion, than yes. Burkhead. Yes. And if he's not ready from a pass pro or pass receiving standpoint, then take him out and take out – don't have a back in the game. 
No. But that's what's so crazy, Aaron, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Burke had seventh most targeted running back in the NFL, second most targeted player tied with Nico on the team. He, this guy's 32 years old. He's not a receiving back. He's not a great running back. And the volume he's getting, well, his 16 targets, uh, Damon's only getting 25% of that. And Burkhead's not even catching 70% of his 16 targets. His longest catch and run of eight yards is less than what Damian has averaged, almost nine yards, four targets, four catches, 100%. He runs just as physical and hard and gets you more. And with the quarterback struggling, he should be the uh, quarterback's best, best friend. We're three weeks in, and there's four targets for your talented rookie running back. There, there is no logical reason for that. Um, but speaking of Damian, some of these things, I want to move on to the rookies before we hit our first break here. Let's run through some of the rookie performances. Uh, grand scheme of thing on these guys. Jalen Petrie, yes, we talked about some of the uh, errors, but the two interceptions, everything we saw from Jalen Petrie, what was your overall overall thoughts? Well, he's been as advertised. It was almost like him catching a punt with the way that Fields overthrew right. those passes, but he's right. still there to make the play. And it, it's not easy sometimes to catch a pass, to make a play, to do a return. He had a good blitz for a sack. He's playing some very good football. You think about the tackling, it can get better. Uh, and again, these are taken with a grain of salt. These are the pro football focus stats. But uh, I'm looking at the tackling chart. And I think this may interest uh, some of our listeners. Jalen has missed, according to PFF, eight tackles. Right. So he's missed 30.8% of the tackle attempts. Kamu Gruger Hill, four missed tackles. You've got six missed tackles by Steven Nelson. Yep. And then uh, Kirksey, they have him down for two. And again, this is just from you know recent recent games. But you know, you look at it all and you say, well, you know, they've got to get better at tackling. Right. And, and I think we... go ahead, Aaron. My bad. Oh, but, you know, keeping in perspective, what do I normally see from him? I see a guy that understands the game of football, really passionate, really prepared, studies a lot to make those plays, knew yes. Yes. that fields might be vulnerable throwing over the middle. I, I think everything is encouraging about him because we've seen him also make some really good tackles. He just has to become more consistent. Yeah, but that's that's excellent. And that and that's kind of where I want to go with the grand scheme of thing. You did excellent um, because you do. These are rookies. They're going to make mistakes no matter how talented they are. Now, we talk about it not to say, hey, this guy's a bust. It's not going to work out or maybe he's not the talent. It's just showing you where he's struggling now. And in week in, week out, you can show where he continues to grow. He's been missing those, missing those tackles bad the first two weeks. While he did have another missed tackle or so in this game, you can see him starting to uh, follow Jonathan Owen's footsteps wrapping up more and that being a focus those first two games you've seen them throw shoulders we saw it in the preseason we talked about it then so there is once he makes mistakes and once it's point out to him he's humble enough to come out in front of the media and own it and then go to the to the 
film room and work on it in the practice field and develop it. So I think the error is completely pointing up. And these errors, while he does give up that contain, I don't think we see him give up that same mistake like we saw on Herbert. You could see it in his face and you can just tell the guy learns from it. I think that, you know, the error is pointing up. He's going to be an exceptional player. Moving on to another rookie, Damian Pierce. He was seventh in broken tackles this past week, four for four on pass targets and receptions this year. Also two and a half yards after contact week three. He's getting more after contact than Rex Burkhead. And this isn't a joke. It's typically getting last year and this year on carries. Uh, why do you believe the workload is not bigger in the passing game? And we're going into week four here. You know, hindsight, we're, we're way past hindsight. These are strategic decisions here. And the, the film and the data doesn't add up to why Damian Pierce is getting 25% of the targets that Rex Burkhead is. And you asked about pass pro. I put two videos out uh, early this morning of two brilliant pass pros from Damian Pierce. He got two for one on the Jordan Atkins touchdown. Later, Davis Mills throws off his back foot because he thinks he's about to get obliterated from a blitz. Lo and behold, Damian Pierce cuts across the back of the uh, backfield, nails the guy in his gut, and Mills just throws it up to try to give Nico's a chance for a back shoulder. Nico recognizes uh, late. All that being said, the film, the data, none of it makes sense. Make it make sense to me, Aaron. Very great question and insight, Jason. When you think about what you know, Damien's strengths are, it's breaking tackles, it's running downhill. He actually has nice hands and good routes, and he is physical, as you said, in pass pro. Rex is a little more of a polished receiver, though. Uh, he's been playing a lot longer, you know, over a decade longer, and they just trust him in these critical situations. They also have a background with him, Nick Casario from New England. And it's not like Rex is sorry. I mean, Rex is, you know, he's solid. He's a very reliable pro. But I question, you know, basically, even though he said he wasn't benched, you know, Damian fumbled. He was trying to get extra yards. He Twice. Right. Us after the yeah. game in Chicago where it sold That's the field. Fair. Lock, he, he lock That's fair. When you fumble, you Lovey's not different from many coaches. If you fumble, you're going to be watching the game from the sideline. You How about if you throw an interception? You, you fumble twice, you're going, to, you're going to be watching. You're going to be on How the bench. Throw, How about if you throw two interceptions? Yeah, yeah I get it. I get it. Yeah. And it's tongue-in-cheek. I know you're not going to bench or, like, Right, right, right. It's hard to come back from that because then the fellas, they are like, oh, Davis is not the guy. I, I don't look at him as the leader right. anymore. Right, and it's, it's tongue-in-cheek, Aaron. It's tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little tired today. I apologize. But no, 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 you're fine. On your, on the humor. But um, it is funny. What I would say is it's a work in progress. He's played three games. The qualifier is he's a rookie. He platooned a lot at Florida. He was on his way, in my opinion, to a 100-yard game if they right. just played a little bit better and be able to sustain it. Sure. I feel like there are going to be some better performances ahead. This game against the Chargers is an opportunity with Joey Bosa expected to be out and no Rashawn Slater on the other side of the ball. Excellent left tackle uh, from Clements high school in Northwestern first round draft pick. And, you know, you think about the personnel, the biggest challenge I think is going to be is what they deal about Herbert Eckler and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And right. you know, those will be difficult matchups for them. And yeah. we'll see if they're up to it. They play a lot better at home. In my opinion, this team, mm probably comes back and we have a we see another competitive game 
the Chargers aren't playing very well right now, and and they've got a lot of injuries, like like you mentioned. So a lot it will, of injuries. yeah, it'll Jason be interesting. Jackson. We're going to get to our first break here in a second, but and we'll also break down that Chargers Texas matchup a little bit later here with Aaron. Uh, we'll we'll table the rest of the rookies to later in the show. Um, the Damian Pierce, even with Pierce, though, put a final point on that. And uh, going back to the comment, yes, yeah, it's, it's being tongue in cheek, but the point holding is that you're going to have these guys make mistakes, and when the fall off in talent behind him and you're absolutely right you're not really going to bench your starting quarterback for two interceptions but the point being is that these are pivotal positions where the fall off is is heavy behind them uh specifically talking about the running back position they're behind damien and you're in a game you need to win after having two opportunities to win the first two at that point slap his hand bring in burkett for a couple plays but then let pierce be that bell cow guy passing game running game to get the win the teacher moment is not as supposed to be as big as, as winning lovey said that out of his own mouth a couple weeks ago when he said the focus on winning is more important you know than 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 teaching, and I'm paraphrasing there, they're obviously going to still teach and develop these guys. Now, we'll get more into those rookies a little bit later. I want to talk about some of the vet performances uh, and get into some of those areas with Aaron next. But first, let's take a first break here with our title sponsors. Come out and enjoy Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality Prime Social Poker Club. At Prime, you'll enjoy an upscale social environment, fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables, dozens of poker tables, and many other fun games throughout the venue. You can also join their over 21,000 members with a lifetime membership for only $10. What are you waiting for? Get into the game. Come join us at Prime Social Poker Club. Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, then you know Inside Edge. They were part of the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. Fans can now have access to the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at MyInsideEdge.com. My Inside Edge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchups, specific insights, and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. Again, that's MyInsideEdge.com. Right, we're back here on the show. Jason Braddock, Aaron Wilson. We're going to look back at the veteran performances from week three. Aaron, I want to talk about this offensive line. Um, and I thought it was key. You were talking about uh, you briefly mentioned it a little bit earlier when you talk about it. it's just like one mistake here or one play here. And you're, I believe you're talking about referencing Damian Pierce in the running game. Uh, and you're absolutely right. When you go back and you watch this, uh, you can see there's a couple blocks tussle misses. One, a key one, him and uh, – the rookie Harrison at fullback uh, both missed and blew up Damian Pierce in the background on a pivotal third and one down there around the goal line late where they had to settle and kick the field goal on the next play. Titus lunges at a D tackle that spins and blows up a play. Kenyon Green uh, gets out in zone and Scott Quesenberry and not exactly which guy to pick up. Kenyon doesn't see Roquan coming from the back gets Damian Pierce blown up. Quez has the holding penalty in the zone. I mentioned and on those screens out to the tight ends and running back. He was struggling to get out there in space to get to those blocks and it's something simple like that on every single play 
with this being the third straight week, knock on wood, that nobody's injured or anything happens with the O-line, but this should be the third straight week since the, I think, week four of last year, so a, a full year. Uh, do you continue to see this chemistry as they were great in pass pro and in the running game without these simple mistakes of one person and separate people so many times? Right. You know, Jason, when you think about the errors that you see, you know, they're not glaring, but they do compound. They add up. And it's the difference between having an 80-yard day for him and 120. And there's yards to be had. There are opportunities missed. And each week, you know, they keep losing or tying like the first week. But, you know, it might as well have been a loss. It, you know, it's, it, it felt that way, sure. They're at a point now where manufacturing victory is going to get tougher and tougher. Right. They're not going to be favored you know, to win, they're, I think they're worse in the power rankings by most people. When they play the Chargers, despite no matter how many people are out, unless you tell me that Herbert's been ruled out, right? which I don't think that's the plan. He's just going to play with it and manage it. Okay, you're not going to be favored. You're not going to be favored to beat the Jaguars, even though you swept them last year because of the Jaguars' improvement this season. And that game, to me, a team that they swept last year, that's going to be the truest measuring stick that we've had a litmus test or whatever of this young season. Once we see how they match up with Jacksonville, but you know, this game, it's going to be hard. They're going to have some reasons why they should be competitive and win. And there's going to be many others like the Khalil Max and all these other great players that are hard to match up with every week. Yeah, the other little players, but an exercise I've gone through a little bit is you talk about the talent on the roster, Jason, who would start for the other teams? I'll do it, and then if, if you have uh, an opinion about it, have you weigh in as well. Brandon Cooks, Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard, those guys would start for the majority of the other teams. When you think about their guards, probably not. Their center, probably not. Kenyon would eventually start, but maybe not immediately on a team with a Experienced offense. Well, Chargers, Chargers have Zion starting this week, sure. so a first round, a first round probably. So, but I get so your all this part of the ball. So we're at about three to four on offense, and then sure. on defense, what? Maybe Jerry will be a situational rusher for teams that have a younger, more stalwart defensive end. Probably John Grenard, Malik Collins. Most of the teams, probably none of the linebackers, except for teams that just aren't very good at linebacker. Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley. Yep. I think Steven Nelson starts for pretty much every team. He'd be the number two corner. So you have a few guys. You've got a fairly – making some fairly talented secondary. But it's not enough. And other teams have guys where you could say, oh, he's a backup, but he would start for most teams. Can you say that about really <laughs> anyone here? That's a fair point. No, I'm not going to go contrary to anybody you said there because I think it's all valid. Uh, a great point there as well to kind of illustrate the the talent uh, around the league or lack thereof here in Houston at positions. But you also illustrate how they're building it up and they did a heavy investment that secondary and then they found value in the second wave or third wave of free agency with Stephen Nelson. Great find there. Despite the missed tackles, I mean, he's such a great value in coverage. Uh, now going on the wide receiver position, the Texans wide receivers 
average, tied for the most uh, second most drops with five. Cooks has the most of those drops, the lion's share of those, and he's only got 13 receptions on 29 targets. By far the lowest uh, catch rate of his entire career. And we talked about the lack of wide receiver tight end separation. They've already brought in Jordan Akins. They've already, already brought in OJ Howard. Now, Tyler Johnson, I'm guessing he's going to probably be active this week. Um, but what, what can you do at this point with this roster? Or is it just go back to the illustration you talked about talent around the league versus the roster in 2022 in Houston? I'm not sure that he'll be up because he doesn't play special teams. And Chris Moore is playing so well, quietly playing very well. I feel like he should be playing more, in my opinion. That was a great catch by him on the sideline. That's true. He he can he can make some things happen. And Nico Collins is also quietly putting together some good play. He's averaging about 15 yards a catch. It's a very high percentage throwing to Nico. And I think they're gonna have to start decreasing the targets for Brandon until it starts becoming more effective. And yes. he's going to have to get to all of his progressions, see the yes. entire field. He's seeing half the field right now. Oh, great call. Yeah, yeah 100%. Issue, but, yeah, Tyler, it's interesting because he's someone that I just couldn't say for sure that he would be better than Nico, Chris, or Phil. And and that's, you know, that's just my opinion. But I, I just don't see him – being much better than those guys. Okay, fair. The guy fair he plays enough, most fair. similar to probably would be, he's not as big, but he would be somewhat like Nico. Right. So depth piece to Nico there, that would make sense as if well. If Nico got hurt, he might be the player that's most suited to step in for Nico. I'd like to see him. Even if they, they could possibly go five wide receivers this week with uh, the you know one of the worst rushing. I think it's the worst is, rushing is attack Jordan on offense. You know, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked Did that. Did you because, go back to him after Jordan caught a touchdown? and was Well, Jordan's three three catches, four targets, 31 yeah, yards and a touchdown. Compared to Brevin, only 50% catch rate, three of six, eight yards. Yes, these are small sample sizes, but uh, Jordan Akins looks like he's ready to play. And it's kind of freaky here, but all three of the passing touchdowns have gone to the quote-unquote third tight end that was just added to the team and, uh, you know, and active, let's say it this way, activated for the first team with the team, first game with the team in 2022 when they caught that touchdown as the quote-unquote third tight end. So it's, it's kind of odd where the production's going, uh, especially with the Texans being one of three teams with wide receivers not recording a touchdown through three games. Right. You yeah. look at the scoring distribution. I mean, they don't score enough points, period. They're right. one of the lowest scoring teams, and they're also a team that, yeah, they're good at scoring defense, but – they're just, you know, they have the makings of a defense. They don't have much of an offense. And in media and, and the fans and everyone, yes, we know that Damien's good, but we're still not talking about, regardless of whose fault it is, a lot of production. 80 yards is not that big a deal. And you could say some of it's on the circumstances. It's not on him. It's just. Well, some is. Some is. Uh, he has yeah. missed a couple cuts here and there through the first couple weeks. But the dude had a uh, limited workload in college, limited work in the preseason, limited work with this team. So you can expect that. But he had one really, really missed. And it's, it's the cutback that he's missing. Uh, but he runs so physical and powerful, he makes up with what he gives you, especially with all the options on the roster. They, they, bottom line, have to be more productive. And, yes. you know, it's not an emotional thing for me, but is it 
just for the sense of is it getting tiresome talking about the same uh you know storylines and exactly. narratives about this guy this guy's not good enough or this guy's disappointing or they should do more with this one or that one that's what we're talking about here but there's only one number that matters and three really zero two one their record right. and everything right. else is you know part of the sy- symptoms of the problem but you either win or you lose and you know pick up any cliche that i want but to apply to that but th- there are so many reasons for the defeats and ultimately you know they lack talent and i was talking with one of the players about this and i said to him you know my theory that their margin for error is way too thin. Right. They got to win the turnover margin. And he said, bro, exactly. We're not even close to playing clean enough football to where we should be expecting to win the games. It's not like it's on the refs. It's not like the other teams playing that great. It's on them. They beat themselves. Mm. And, you know, some of that's on the players and some of that's on the coaches, you know, but you have to be coachable. And you have to make less mistakes. They just, there's a lot of, I won't call it excuse making. There's accountability. And yes, I believe the, so. are, are, the locker room is good. They're, they're good guys. Um, they're very respectful, mature men, but you got to get it done. It's like you said, it's a results driven business. And before we get to this break and move on to the charges, Aaron, I want to get your thoughts on a couple things on that defense. Uh, You talked about Malik Collins. We talked about Rasheen Green and the linebackers, but going a little bit more into detail on that. Seven tackles yesterday from Rasheen Green. Uh, He was so big. I don't I don't want this to go unnoticed that he was so pivotal in run stuffing from that DN position last two weeks, not just this week, two sacks, four quarterback hits and 12 tackles. Also, Malik Collins, like you said, when he does penetrate, he's on point like a missile uh, when he does shoot the gap and get there. He actually forced the pressure on that second uh, Justin Collins interception to Petrie there. So these two defensive line guys, I just wanted you to kind of touch on what the team thinks of them and the performances they they just put up. I think that Rasheem is a complete defensive lineman. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's a very well-built 279 pounds at 6'4". This guy, I'm surprised that there weren't more people bidding on him. He had six and a half sacks last year for Seattle. It's a good signing. A great signing is Jerry Hughes. Rasheem is a very good signing. And now that he's over the injury, we're seeing good performances by him. And it's the kind of things that when you lose – some of these bright spots, they do tend to get overshadowed, but he's someone that is coming off of a good game and he's part of the solution, not a problem. I think that Rashim is uh, commendable so far and, you know, it's just a few things. Yeah, John Grenard and Jerry Hughes, they had really good games. They both missed that tackle. Yeah. Sometimes it's just one play yeah. and that's why you don't get chances sometimes. You have to capitalize. You have to really be on point all the time. And that's what the good teams do. Right now, yeah. they can't call themselves. They can say we're a good team, that they have the makings of a good team. But until you actually win the games, no, you're not a good team. You're a team that doesn't know how to win yet. And the only thing I'm really encouraged by is the effort and the fact that they're competitive. 
And that's what leads me to believe that some wins could be around the corner or they figure it out and they're setting a foundation for the future where some of this, uh, you know, standards that are being set about playing hard, which you would think, oh, well, that's a given. I don't think every team plays hard all the time. I think that they do. I think they give effort. The buy-in is good. And I think the coaches have to adapt too to what they're seeing. What do the analytics tell you? And the load management is something you, you think about how much these guys are being used. Solving the fourth quarter to me is going to take substitution. And I can't emphasize that enough. There are some guys that need to play less. Well, and- let me go into that a little bit before. And we got we have to get to a break uh, here in a second. But I, I do, because with you saying that, this linebacker group, we saw Garrett return. We saw Blake Cashman get in there. We saw Jalen Reeves Maven get in there. Uh, obviously, with Kamu and Kirksey with KPL uh, getting injured last week. Christian Harris um, could return as soon as next week. We'll get an update from you on that. But can these linebackers get off the blocks? And if not, is there a fix there, whether it's Garrett, whether it's Cashman, Christian Harris, do do you think these guys can come in and make a difference right away? I think there are, once they're all, you know, fully established, there's a chance. And I don't know if they would replace anyone, but there, there might be, you know, some argument for plugging in Harris or Wallow at some point. And, you know, Cashman, I, he's good, but he's more of a sub linebacker. I know Neville Hewitt, I, in fact, I believe this, would not miss those tackles. Mm. Neville is a hard hat kind of guy. He might hit somebody pretty hard. The, the biggest thing is Kirksey. You know, Kirksey's capable of doing some things in coverage. He's a nice player. He's solid. He's not playing very great right now. He's made a few flash plays, but his overall body of work is not very good right now. And Kamu's not making the tackles for loss as they did a year ago. Right. We're just not there. I don't think it's time to panic and bench these guys. But at some point, you do want to get a chase linebacker like Christian Harris on the field. Mm-hmm. He has missed a ton of time. When they do activate him from the hamstring injury, I don't know when they'll plug him in. Because usually they take a week or two before they do that. So, Well, on that same a couple other guys. Yeah, a couple other guys that's been injured and could come back as early as uh, next week as well, assuming they're healthy and everything. Mario Addison, Tavier Thomas. There's other guys as well, but just focusing Tavier on that. Tavier is pretty Harris. close to ready. I've been watching nice. Tavier run. Talk to Tavier a little bit. Tavier is going to be good to go, and that will give them a – talk about tackling. He'll tackle you. He'll, <laughs> yeah, he'll he will. You. He'll hit pretty hard. Love that guy's attitude and energy and story. He's someone that football really matters to me. That's really high personal and football character. Uh, definitely a lot of respect for Tavier and what he's all about. Uh, How close like, do you think Addison is? Addison's groin injury is not that bad. Okay. I, I think he could be back soon. Um, the problem is going to be, do you need him? Because they almost overloaded the positions at the defensive right. end spot. Right. So right. is he going to be up? I would think that he'd probably be up instead of Damon Harris. But, you know, Lovey made a great point the other day. I'm going to give him a lot of credit for this because people obsess about, well, why isn't this guy playing? What about this guy? You can only have so many guys up. Yeah. And you think about what they have up. You know, Damon Harris played, but he played one snap. Yeah. 
So it's like and him and actually on that one snap, him and all oh my, I forgot who were the other, maybe it was Ogbo, both DN squished the pocket and force uh, fields out, but uh, nobody was there to stop him after he was squeezed out the pocket. So it was a good rep for him. It really was. I mean, Damone's a good football player and, you know, you hope that everybody can play more, but there's only so many snaps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you, think don't Ogbo, take, you don't want to take John Grenard and Jerry Hughes off the field no. too much. Right, and you had to take uh, you had to take them guys off to get Rasheen Green in there because he was just so pivotal against the run this week. I think but, that what might help them a little bit is having Kurt Heinish. Yes, once they've he's got to get him back. Again. That's yeah, crazy to he, say you have to have an undrafted free agent back, but they have to get him back. He's a real player, uh, and Michael Dwumfor, he'll make some plays. He doesn't. Yes, he will. He, necessarily you can't look him. like the guy that you know. <laughs> but you can't like, move him. He's tough. So is, yeah. and Thomas Booker has shown me some things. They have the makings of a good defensive line. They make a good secondary. I think the weak link on the defense right now is the linebacker position. Yeah. And right. that's, so that's not what's supposed enough. to happen in this Lovey Smith defense. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, you brought in so many guys. You brought in 58 of them. So, I mean, and you kept 25. So you would expect some three of them to hit. Obviously, hyperbole there. But uh, last thing before the break, Cedric O'Brien, you had the news earlier that he was signed off the Texas practice squad. He had previously gone onto the injured list on the practice squad. Uh, Deculus, you know, had the injury as well. So you're really talking about three tackles on the team here, not on the practice squad now. Uh, what are your thoughts at the position? Is something they're going to have to go uh, put a priority? focus on to bring in uh, somebody that can actually play in case there's an injury. Right. I mean, they worked out several safeties uh, the other day, like Bubba Bolden and Brady Breeze, and they looked at wide receivers. They did not look at any running backs. And, you know, I think there's always tackles on the street that you can get for the practice squad. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that tough. I mean, Deculus is sort of week to week. He's in a yeah. walking boot. He's injured okay. his foot. He doesn't. That's need update surgery. I needed. Okay, so you've you've got that. Unless an injury hits, they still feel pretty. But I I, about I don't Nicholas. know when he'll be able to practice. I don't think it's this okay. week. And maybe it's next week. Maybe it's the week after that. But you know, arguably, could he be you know placed on injured reserve? Yeah, I mean, you could. If I think it's probably uh, where he's not going to be effective for three more weeks. You know, so you know that yeah. that's something that they could look at uh when i think about you know their depth and you look at the practice squad um you just want to make sure you have enough guys to give you the look in practice mm -hmm. uh, i think that they'll find someone i mean and there's some guys that play guard like trevor wallace sims can he also line up a tackle sure yeah he could do that oh they could bring back some guys that have been here before or just look on the street but, um, you know, they have Jordan Steckler as interior for sure. That's all right. he really plays. He's played a tiny bit of and tackle. They pro and they promoted Morrissey. Uh, yeah, Jimmy's, uh, you know, and he stepped in for one when Scott Quesenberry got poked in the eye. But, yeah, yeah they, they, just, they probably need one. Um, and that's a great illustration there, Aaron. I'll hit the break right after this. But that's a great illustration of just one thing going wrong on each play. Uh, when he gets poked in the eye, his man ends up making the tackle, if I'm not mistaken. And everything was blocked so well on there. And there's so many instances. But I think that's a great illustration of how freaky uh, you've got to have the perfect chemistry, especially when you run so much zone looks in the uh, running game. You've got to have that chemistry. And I think it's pivotal that for the first time in a year, we're going to have the same starting lineup. Not 
knock on wood, uh, for three straight weeks here in Houston. I, I think that will help gel that chemistry and not have guys kind of looking around at who they pick up in zone. That comes with feel. So we won't hit too hard on that. But let me get a quick break. We'll come back, let Aaron Wilson break down this Chargers game. And so I want to take a time out to talk about our title sponsors, Prime Social Poker Club. This is Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality. And we've kind of uh, partnered with them, not only with them as the title sponsor here on the Houston Football Show, but they also have a live streaming table. It's so cool. I went out there a week ago and got on their Friday broadcast. I will continuously uh, pop on their broadcast on Friday. So if you want to come out to Prime and say, hey, or if you want to watch some uh, hands and get professional advice from Reese, who's a poker player that works, I mean, uh, a former professional poker player that works at Prime, and he'll break down, he'll run the X's and O's, if you will, of the broadcast there as they have the live streaming table like you would see at the World Series of Poker. You got the percentages showing up there, the hands and all that. You can really, it's like taking a college course right here in Houston every Friday just watching that stream. And like I said, the Houston football show is paired with Prime Social, and I'll jump on that broadcast, that stream every Friday night. So I'll learn right there with you to be one of the best in poker. And when you want to go play live, go out the Prime Social Poker Club right here at 781 Westheimer here locally in Houston. Over 21,000 members, opens 10 a.m. daily and doesn't close until you leave. They just put wraps or uh, they just put the wraps on the first H-Town Poker Open. Tremendous success. So whether you're playing cash, tourney, or if you want to get out there and get on the streaming table, whatever it is, they have restaurant, bar, live games, all of their right Right there, Prime Social Poker Club. All right, getting back into the show, Aaron Wilson. Aaron, before we get into kind of the X's and O's and the breakdown, how you see this game going with the Chargers, uh, and then we'll let you go about your way. I, I want to look at the injuries that you talked about. Justin Herbert played with fractured ribs last week uh, after the the week one game. Um, I mean, the week two game. <clears throat> Keenan Allen hamstring injury could return to practice this week. Does he play? Corey Lindsay, the center, has been sidelined with an injury, a knee injury. He's expected to return to practice this week. But Joey Bosa, you talked about earlier, uh, they said he's probably not going on IR with a groin injury week to week, but it doesn't sound like he's playing uh, playing this week against the Texans, which the Titus and Tunsil get a break with that one. J.C. Jackson, another key cornerback on this talented defense, is dealing with inflammation in his ankle. Didn't play last week. Had surgery on that ankle before the season. Don't know if he'll be back this week or not. And there was Sean Slater, the talented left tackle. He's got a ruptured bicep tendon out for this game. All the injuries. Can the Texans take advantage of it? This time, because it seems like maybe not to this level, but it seems like they kept getting the benefit uh, with the injuries weekend through uh, through the first four weeks of the season. Right. They have to capitalize when you have great players like Joey Bosa and Rashawn Slater not on the field. That creates opportunities. It creates matchup issues because the backup is never to the caliber of the starter. And that gives them a chance to, you know, do you double Khalil Mack? Do you? chip him what do you do with him when I mean, you didn't have that luxury before because you had both those guys as threats and you know, they have some good linebackers they've got derwin james he's someone that you gotta really have to be cognizant of if you're davis mills when you're throwing the football and you know we'll see if jc jackson if he's you know feeling better this week if he's closer to being who he is uh he's actually someone that recall a year ago davis mills 
beat him and Devin McCourty, two pretty good Patriots, threw it right between them to Chris Moore for a long touchdown. Mm. He can do that again. I think their personnel is, is strong. Their coach kind of overthinks it a little bit. He's very intellectual, Brandon Staley. But you, you look overall at it, and there are going to be some chances for them to be in this game. And I would think what they come up with for a game plan is try to run it down their throat and see if they can make that work and see, can this be a game where they do something similar to what Chicago was doing? Yeah, maybe, there should be less, maybe there should be less throws for Davis. Maybe the numbers need to go down. Maybe they really yeah, need I, to, not to say we're a running team, but actually be a running team. No, Run yeah, I think, right, right, absolutely. Where let the actions back up the words, especially when you're four weeks into the year. And I think what plays to their favor is not only the injuries on the offensive line for the Chargers this week, but also Austin Eckler, out of all the qualified backs, his 2.5 yards per carry is dead yeah. last. The Chargers are dead last in their rushing attack. So this week, um, your your weakness. He's got almost no have... help, by the way, behind him with Josh absolutely King, Isaiah Spiller and. Sony Michelle, he has to be high volume, and it's been pretty topsy turvy. He's really good. Uh, would it surprise me if he upped that average this week? No, it would not. I think he could do well against the Texans. This might be selfish, Aaron, but what I want to see in this game is more man coverage, and the matchup I want to watch is Derek Stingley Jr.'s against Mike Williams. That's that's a matchup worth the price of admission. And also takes Gives you a better Palmer. chance against the big, yes. big wide receiver. Yes. Whereas I think Steve Nelson, who's an old crafty pro, may be able to understand Keenan Allen's very slick routes and match up with him. He's also played against him before. So, yeah, I, I like Steven's chances better. But I don't know if they'll do the follow thing. Right. You've seen already, like he held his own against Cortland Sutton. And then this past game, it really wasn't much of a passing game. But he showed well outside. It's more than just coverage. And outside of that, in this Bears game, he showed extremely well. He looked confident. Good tackling. Uh, the tackling is just flawless for a team that is the, has the most mixed tackle for your rookie corner to for it to be his strength and the angle he takes, the speed he uses, the active hands when they're trying to stiff arm and the combat, the way he took on he took on a pulling guard and sacrificed his entire body to free up his linebackers. Him and Petrie take on pulling guards and linemen better than the Texans linebackers are, and these are rookie secondary players. So yeah, yeah we're not we're not seeing. A lot of uh, <laughs> like the hard knocks guy, uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, right? One of, of that thumps the ball the way he does, yeah, exactly. You don't have that guy flying through there, out, opening it up for everyone else, and it's not there from that linebacker group right now. All right, so I'd like to see Stingley on Williams, like you said, Stephen Nelson of Keenan Allen's playing in this one. Desmond King plays Stingley has well. zero missed tackles, by the way. So, yeah, you're, you're dead on about that. He's he's making his plays. Yeah, he's 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 impressive. I and I is is he's well rounded. But when you say well rounded, usually it means an average player, like a utility player in baseball. He's such a well rounded player. This guy's well rounded with greatness. And if he hits on his potential, and he's just getting better week in week after. Again, let me say it uh, for what it's worth. We know he wasn't targeted uh, a lot this past week, and it was field stone at it, and the talent. Every, I get it all. 
but you can only show what you show. He looked more confident. He's growing each week. And what he shows in the skill set, this guy could be one of the best in, in the league. So, I mean, there with That's him cool. and Petrie yeah. and Pierce, like this could be a hell of a And by the way, Rasheem Green is the highest, according to Pro Football Focus, stop percentage on tackling. So he's, he's, there you go. So yep. marrying the stats with what we're seeing on the film there. Yeah, so that well, doesn't surprise the, at all. The film doesn't lie. And, and the stats sometimes, you know, can be skewed. But I think generally they tell a story and you put them together and, and you, it creates a picture. Let me ask you that about the stats before I let you go, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, I'll get your thoughts on the game. Like maybe not a prediction, but which way do you think it goes here? But Davis Mills at home, is this just too much stats or is there truth to this? 14 touchdowns, one interception in his home splits, 254 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Part of that split in his last home game against the Chargers last year where he beat Herbert uh, without Brandon Cooks playing in the game. Rex Burkett as the top back. Was that a fluke game? Was he just feeling it? Everything fell right? Or is this guy legitly a quality quarterback at home? And does that translate to this year? It's a symptom of being a young quarterback and they, you know, tend to, I would say, play better in home games. And it's just, you know, he's still developing. It's just very much like you look at, you know, where he is in his development mm-hmm. and he's more comfortable at home. And, you know, I don't know if he would – it'd be an interesting question, actually, to ask Davis on, on Wednesday to see Fair if point. he thinks about that. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, hopefully uh, you or, or someone else uh, puts in that question to him because I, I still want to hear his answer. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the case. key. It's it's the content's the key, not who asked the question. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely, definitely would like to hear that answer as well, too. Aaron, I appreciate your time. Before I let you get out of here, how do you see this game playing out, whatever you're comfortable with, whether it's a prediction or just how you think it plays? Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm gonna do a little – just a gentleman's bet. Uh, let's, let's do it with, with you. Uh, maybe uh, we'll do a Starbucks on it. How about that? What, what, who are you taking? <laughs> I mean, before I agree, who I'm are you take taking? I'm, wow. I'm going to pick Texans for the upset. Wow. I like it, but I can't get there with you, so I'll do the okay. bet. I'll do the bet, but I'm not a coffee guy. I'm a sweet tea guy. Uh, they we'll do have a, they have a tea. Oh, uh, no. I only do Raisin Cane's. I'm bougie with it. I get uh, okay. a Raisin well, Cane sweet tea for every day for like three years, except when they're closed for holidays. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> I'm a little OCD. I, I, I I live by a raisin cane, so if there we I go. lose, I can still go to their drive-thru and get you one. All right, large, sweet, tea, light ice, please. And if you want some chicken tenders, too, I'll Yeah, yeah, okay, let's do it. We'll do a combo because uh, uh, Starbucks maybe we make coffee. This a little new Y'all pay what? Yeah, exactly. What's a Starbucks coffee usually cost, like $25? <laughs> so I mean, I, I think I, I think a raisin cane's combo I, for a coffee. I'll take a, I'll take a venti green tea if they – you're going to have to text it to me. Game. I don't even That's know. It I sounds will. like you're speaking a different language to me. I don't know if you're cursing <laughs> me or what. I don't know what's going on right now, but uh, bet, bet. I'll take the deal, though. I can't take the Texans until I see them uh, back up their words on the field, not okay, yeah, you're get, the, you're, get you're, out of the words. You're Chargers, and I'm going to take the Texans. I'm taking the Chargers. Do so I have to give you points or is it straight up? We're just betting a little bit of a uh, beverage, and uh, okay. I, I don't know what I really want to eat from that place, but uh, – you know, uh, you you pick, you pick pick okay. something. I'll, I'll well, I won't have to pick. I don't. I don't feel. I feel like the Texans got my back on this one. That even if I live about three blocks from the Raising Plains in Montrose, 
Nice. I will run through there. And uh, Raising Canes, <laughs> if you're listening, give Jason a call. Houston football show at Gmail. There are a couple advertising spots left open. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I didn't think about that. Great, Aaron. You, you pick up quick. I like it. I like it. All right, Aaron, yep. thank you for your time. Go enjoy your evening Morning, with your Aaron. lovely wife. <laughs> I, I see. I see, Yoda. All right, buddy. Have a great night. <laughs> All right, take care, Aaron. All right, that's Aaron Wilson. He's got the upset pick, money line it, if you're riding with Aaron Wilson this week on the Texans at home against the Chargers. I'm going to come up in the uh, last segment, uh, last couple segments of this show by myself here. Um, before we do that, though, let's hear from our sponsors. Prom Social Poker Club opens daily at 10 a.m. and doesn't close until the last person leaves. Now, that's 24-7, 365 days a year, so you can always get your poker game on at Prime. Also, daily, free play starting at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 9 p.m. They have daily and nightly tournaments with buy-in starting as low as $60 and going as high as $5,000. Now, check this out. Guaranteed prize money as large as $2 million. What are you waiting for? Get in the game. Prime Social Poker Club here locally in Houston, 7801 Westheimer. We've told you about the endless insights at Inside Edge, but let us tell you about the real gold mine. They're five-star picks. And in the 2021 NFL season, Inside Edge went 34 and 14 against the spread for a success rate of 70.8. And now you have access to these five-star picks for only $20 per pick or get the deal of the lifetime. Every five-star pick for the entire year for only $149. Even better, our listeners get a discount of 10% on that access by using code Houston. That's code Houston. All right, we're back here for a couple more segments, so just hang with me here on the Houston Football Show. Thank Aaron Wilson for coming on, and if you missed it somehow, I don't know how you could. Aaron Wilson calls his money line pick this week. Danger. I'm sure he's got us locked in on the betting board there. Our first bet of the season. Uh, he's got Texans straight up, so if you want to ride with him, take that money line this week. I'm going with the charges on that one. Uh, on this bet here, and I was on the Texans to beat the Colts week one, and people thought I was crazy when they were minus eight and a half. Thought they would lose week two to the Broncos, but they had an opportunity to prove me wrong when they were 10-point underdogs, and yet again, they let the Broncos come back. Week three, didn't think it would be a blowout, thought it'd be a close game like it was, but I thought the Texans couldn't lose this game. There's no way they could lose this game. No passing attack. Then you lose David Montgomery. Uh, your top cornerback on the opposing team, Jalen Johnson, is out. And you still found out the way to lose. And the teams you're losing to are some of the lowest scoring teams in the league. This is You're not playing Justin Herbert and these guys. And I know Justin Herbert's banged up. But the Texas, the Colts are the 31st scoring offense, 13.3 points a game through three games. Broncos, 30th. That's next to last and third from last. You know, and Broncos, 14.3 points per game. Chicago Bears, the highest scoring offense at 17.3 points per game, a 21st in the league. And you still figure out a way to be up at halftime or even in the third quarter in some of these games and blow it. I can't buy in on that. 
And one of my biggest issues, and on social media and earlier in the show as well, I've talked about the Rex Burkhead situation. Aaron did a good job talking about him being a vet. He has the relationships with the guys. Guys like him in the locker room. All that's well and good. But Aaron also talked about it being a results-driven business. Rex Burkhead is not a talented star running back, not a backup number two running back. On a really good team, he's probably a four. On a really bad team, he's probably a three. He's a 1B here. Week one had more carries and played 30 more snaps than Damian Pierce, who's your starting running back. Week one through three, he's the seventh most targeted running back in the NFL at 32 years old. At no point was Rex Burkhead ever confused for a receiving back. I think he's averaging like 5.5 yards a carry, his longest reception uh, 16 targets is eight yards. The proof's in the pudding. The film met, matches up perfectly with the stats. And so my issue with this, the players, Aaron talked about this earlier. I've talked about it before. The players, the coaches have shown accountability all season. Whether you like it or not, when they've made mistakes, they've come out there and Pep says, I got to call better plays. Lovey says, we got to tackle better. This is on me. The guys are taking accountability. The players, after they have make mistakes, they're readily made available to the media with Justin Britt, Jalen Petrie. Every guy on the team takes accountability. My problem is the wreck situation deserves accountability. Whoever's making this decision, this is not a football decision. This is a personal allegiance to a guy. And I, I guess the pitch goes something like this. Hey, Rex, you're over 30 years old. Nobody's going to sign a 30-year-old running back as more than a depth piece to come to camp. Uh, why don't you come down here with us in Houston? We don't expect to be good for the next couple of years. And we'll let the fans watch you have a career high one season in carries. And the next season have 50% of your career high the first three games in targets. We're going to make you a lead back one year. We're going to make you a lead receiving back, top seven in targets through three weeks the next year. This is just allegiance. This is professional allegiance between friends. And if that's what you're doing, it's fine. But when you have players and coaches accountable of their mistakes laid out to the media like meat on a slab to own their mistakes each week to go to film, where's the person making the decision to oblige by their personal relationship with Rex. Because this isn't production value. Tell me, have somebody tell me Rex is getting 16 targets when this was planned for going into the season. There wasn't injuries that hit the running back position out of, outside of Darius Anderson and Marlon Mack. Oh, lo and behold, 32 carries in the last two years didn't work out. Who saw that coming? The issue here is this is what you wanted. And now if now, if you tell me, if you come out and say, hey, we're tanking, we want, we've got all these picks coming up, we want a top pick this year and really go for it next year, I'm good with it. But these players aren't going to be good with it. They're out there, and even though they're making mistakes, they're trying their best to win these games. They're wearing their heart on their sleeves and eating the coaches, you know, are wearing their heart on their sleeves and wanting to win these games. They're not trying to lose these games. And then you come up, and you're like, oh, you got a chance to lose. So what do you do? Every play was a running play to Damian Pierce against the Bears on this one drive when they needed to score, and they went down and got a touchdown. You know what the solution is. Feed the talent. You knew it so much that every play on that drive was a running play, every single play, and it ended in a touchdown. 
but you go away from it. On third and ones, you're running RPOs with a struggling second-year quarterback on the road, and you know how he plays on the road? No, the outcome isn't the issue. The decision's the issue. And when you're throwing 16 targets, he's the most, the second most targeted player on your team is Rex Burkhead. That's not a bad X's and O decision. Let me ask you this question if you're listening. Let's just be common sense here. I'm going to give you options. Option one, Rex Burkhead is getting this much workload the last two years. And we'll just say this year because some of the coaches have changed. So don't worry about him having the most carries in his careers at 31 last year. Let's talk about this year where he's the seventh most targeted running back. I mean, seventh most targeted running back in the passing game and second most targeted player on the Texans team through three weeks. Let's talk about that. A, do you think Pep Hamilton is bamming the table saying, guys, I don't care how talented Damian Pierce is. I don't care that he's more efficient in the passing game. His pass protection is great. Uh, all I care about is this Rex Burkhead guy. We have to keep him involved. He's such a nice guy. Or option B, Lovey Smith. Hey, guys, this Rex Burkhead guy, Pep, you got to put him in there. You got to get him involved. He's such a great dude. I don't care about winning these tied games late. I want Rex Burkhead. I can depend on him to get me two yards. If we need two yards, Rex Burkhead will get us two yards. If we need four yards, Rex Burkhead will get us two yards. This is what it is at this point, that these are not football decisions. So whoever's decision. So let's give you option C. Someone else is making the decision that Rex Burke is going to be this heavily involved Then whether it's to not put the workload on Pierce or whatever it may be, or just do right by Burkhead because you don't think you're going to be good doing good. You're sabotaging your players. And the problem with that is put you to the point now with these mistakes with Burkhead and others. And it's not just Burkhead. A guy's probably a great dude. I mean, if he wants to have a venti green something with Aaron, I'm all, all for him having a grinty, genty tea from Starbucks or whatever. I'm probably messing it up. Whatever y'all drink at Starbucks for $10 and call it coffee or something. Might be a great guy. I talk about football. I talk about X's and O. I watch as the film. I'm telling you, this is not a football decision. Logically, it's not. And because of some of these non-football decisions, allegiance to personal relationships, the Texans are 0-2-1 when they really should be 3-0. And that would be the storyline. And so if it continues to play out this week and you lose to the Chargers and you lose to the Jags, who are, are playing stellar football right now on both sides of the ball. You lose to the Jags before the bye week, you're looking at 0-4 and 1 at the bye. What do you think these players are going to give you back on the uh, field when they realize that you're not completely bought in and they're taking full accountability? That's going to be backfiring, and that's going to be worth watching there. That's all I'm going to say, because it's, a, it's not a football move. I need somebody to tell me it's a football move and explain it to me. That, oh, Pierce fumbled twice in that game. If he fumbled 10 times and the option is Rex Burkhead, give me Damian Pierce with an eye patch or broken ankle and the possibility of a third fumble. Because that's, that's the guy who's getting things done. Damian Pierce. Average two and a half yards after contact. Do you realize that's what Rex Burkett is basically giving you when there's holes there, when there's running lanes there? 
It's not a contest. So you're sabotaging your own team. You can't tell me you can't upgrade and bring in a receiving back. Like everyone else who's on that top seven most targeted running back list, just top 10. You can't tell me you can't upgrade that position. It's on purpose. It's intentional. At this point, Dare, Royce Freeman, Jared Dokes, I would be willing to see anybody else that you need to give a, a breather to, but don't sell to me. We trust Rex. To There's a lot of guys that you could trust to be mediocre that aren't getting carries in one possession football games, aren't getting targeted second on the team, second most targets on the team. All right, lastly on this Chargers game, before I look at the rookie review here in the last segment after a, a, a break, can Houston win? Absolutely. They can win, but it's a different question. Chargers have the worst rushing attack. Houston could take Stingley and really get physical and man him with Mike Williams, and I think that's in his wheelhouse. Nelson on whether you put him on Josh Palmer or Keenan Allen and take Desmond King and put on the other. You know, Palmer and Allen are PPR-type guys. You know, points per reception is going fantasy verbiage. Meaning that these are high volume guys that you're going to hit high percentage passes. Mike Williams is a death stroke, and the Texans have been giving up big plays. Uh, reverse the St. Equinemia St. Brown. I mean, he's just the 52 yarder to Khalil Herbert. And Jonathan Owens, uh, one of the guys, the epitome with him and Stingley of wrapping up tackles, making a tackle, and everything else. For him to f- miss a tackle when he rarely does on that. Opening rush for Khalil Herbert of what, like 50 plus yards, and he misses right at about a 10 yard mark. I mean, he gave up 40 plus yards after that missed tackle. And I hate to pinpoint him because I mean, he wraps up everything. But on that one, that missed tackle, that missed tackle was was pivotal. And you can't see that from the guy who's leading the NFL in tackles, and it's great for him in wrapping wrapping up when other players in that secondary are missing tackles. You don't have that benefit. You've got to have Stingley and Owens continue to be lockdown tacklers. All right, Chargers one-dimensional, but we already saw with the Bears one-dimensional, Texans can still blow that game. I want to see Stingley on Mike Williams, let Nelson, and if Keenan Allen's playing, let him get on. Uh, even if it's got to go down into the slot, let him get on Keenan or Desmond King there or Josh and Josh Palmer. You uh, you put Nelson on Josh Palmer as well. So uh, main thing, though, I think you take Stingley. And I know you're going to play a lot of zone looks. We're moving away from zone. I would play a lot more man with Stingley on Mike Williams. They don't have a running game. What if you take away the one big threat in Mike Williams? Yeah, you got Gerald Everett at tight end. You're going to have to pay attention to and former Texans, DeAndre R. Carter. You know, with his return ability, he could be somebody on a crosser, underneath, drag route, something like that, that could do danger, especially with the missed tackles that you see, the issues here with the Texans team. Now, Rasheem Green, he's played well. We talked about how pivotal he was, increased his reps, Grenard's reps decreased with Rasheem being so pivotal in the run game at that DN position. With them not having a great rushing attack, I see Grenard getting a lot more reps. Same with Hughes. And, uh, it, this, the injuries for Sean Slater, that's a talented young left tackle. With him being out of there, Corey Lindsley might be back. If not, you got a backup center in there this game as well. They should, the D-line should be able to take advantage of this. Uh, Jerry Hughes, Khalil Mack, Vets, both guys are tied for second in the NFL with four sacks, half a sack out the lead behind Alex Highsmith. Hughes faces a backup, and while Khalil Mack faces TNT, Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard, uh, these 
two of the best bookend tackles in the NFL, especially when we're talking pass protection. Uh, the benefit there is for Hughes to have the more productive day. And then you also got Grenard in rotation with Joey Bosa, his partner in crime, being out for Khalil Mack. And then you go to the safeties. Now, these team, Derwin James, and I know he plays some linebacker, some safety, moves all over. But Derwin James leads the team in tackles, just like Jonathan Owens leads the Texans in tackles. But Derwin James is more of like a Jalen Petrie type that is just everywhere, instinctual, makes plays, and he can cost you games. Petrie gets better each week and learns from his mistakes. I mean, the dude is just a massive talent and passionate about it and humble when he makes the mistakes to uh, to, to feed off it and learn from it so he never feeds that feeling again. Derwin James, I mean, this guy is just a complete beast. Houston can't let the Chargers' safety change the game from Houston's favor. Uh, and they've got to they got to cut out the big plays. The running game can't gash you. You're playing the worst rush defense in the NFL. You cannot get gashed by this. So they should be able to play to the one dimensional passing attack. And I would put a man over the top. Let Stingley man up Mike Williams and make Mike Williams have to beat Stingley on big plays and let everyone else just focus on stopping the rest of the attack, the underneath stuff as well. So. There's a path. I understand why Aaron's saying the Texans win this game. There's a path for the Texans to win this game. My problem is what they've shown me through three games. I can't buy it. I'm taking the charges in this one. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to put a score on this. With all the injuries on the charges, I don't know how it's going to play. Mills could play better at home, but I just I can't. When people show you who they are, trust them. Believe them. And the Texans have showed me that they're a team that will play with you and even be better than you or beat you, I should say, for the first two to three quarters. But in the fourth quarter, uh, it's time to go home. And so I can't buy on when I get on against uh, against a team like Chargers. Prove me wrong. It's on you. All right, before we get to the last segment of the night, it'll be a quick one. Let me tell you about our title sponsors, Inside Edge. Now, you've heard us talk about Inside Edge. They started back during the Moneyball, if you watch the Moneyball movie. Uh, 27 years ago, they started with the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. They've got over 27 professional uh, franchises that uses Inside Edge analytics and data, and we use it here well uh, as well on the Houston Football Show with them as one of our title sponsors. It helps you in DFS. It helps you in gambling. It helps you on broadcast. It helps you in PR department, and that's what they do. They they sell this uh, sell this product throughout different websites, PR departments, professional teams. And now it's readily available for you too for free at myinsideedge.com. Also, though, if you do like to bet on the games and you want a high success rate, you're not going to find anything better than the My Inside Edge uh, gold picks. Five-star picks at My Inside Edge. Last year, against the spread, they hit on 71% against the spread. And so these picks, if you want to just dabble a little bit, they're only $20 a pick. But I'm going to tell you, the real deal with them is get the entire season for $149. All of their five-star picks, 71% hit rate last year. Do yourself a favor. Go check them out at myinsideedge.com. All right, last segment of the night. Let's get through it here. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier on the rookie review. We went through a couple different guys, but I wanted to kind of touch on uh, a couple of these other rookies here at the end. Kenyon Green, similar Petrie, 
he's learning so fast. He picks things up. He's developing. He's playing at such a high level. You see him pull. He pancakes a guy on a pool. <laughs> Excuse me. He pancakes a guy on a pool. He's mauling in the running game. And I'd probably say the biggest area of growth <clears throat> is in pass pro that he still has to get there and develop and um, and move uh, you know, to show that consistency there in pass protection. But last week, he was destroyed in pass pro on the spin move and then also on stunts he would recognize late. Now, this week, in his hands the first couple weeks and then the preseason pass protection, he'd, he'd almost be dead hand. He'd put them out there kind of as guide hands to put up there, but there's no punch. There's no there's no fighting. There's no usage in it. Well, this week you see more of it. He's he's starting to do that punch. You'll see Titus and Tunsil at practice working with the one-two punch, hitting the mitts, almost like boxers with the open hand and working on that punch. And I'm guessing that's what Kenyon's been working on because he looks like Titus and Tunsil, at least a developing model of it on the pass pro this past week. We're trying to work and punch. And that's all you want to see. The reason you look at the plays and you talk about the areas they need to improve on is if you're a mid-first round pick and extremely talented like Kenyon or Petrie or Derek Seemley, you expect them to grow on this. You expect to see the mistakes, but you want to see the growth. I'm blown away at the expedition of the process, how expedited the process is, excuse me, on the growth for these top three picks for the Texans, Derek Stingley Jr., Kenyon Green, and Jalen Petrie. Yes, they'll continue to make rookie mistakes. They'll get out of line, uh, may give up a tackle, may be over-aggressive, miss a tackle, whatever it may be. These guys are learning from their mistake from one week on film to the next week on film. They're taking those mistakes and they're developing the technique and the IQ, and they're learning from it instantly. And they're playing so many snaps and at such a high level as rookies that – you expect there to be mistakes. Yes, the eight missed tackles for Petrie, whatever it is now, yeah, that's a bit excessive. But you're starting to see the growth. Even though he had another missed tackle or two and gave up containment on the Herbert run, those areas still there for growth. You're seeing that growth, and he's not missing the tackles in the same manner he was missing in week one and even in week two. He's not coming up throwing a Swearinger, DJ Swearinger's shoulder tackle. Swearinger, you saw him do that as a rookie, like, oh, look at the big hit. And like, well, this is going to catch up with him. And then he did because he kept wanting to live for the big hit. Petrie's already made the adjustment. He's tackling more like Jonathan Owens and Derek Stingley than he has at any point in his college career preseason in the first two weeks of the NFL season. Same with Kenyon. Kenyon's mauling in the running game, but when he got out there on a couple zone looks, uh, wasn't sure on which guy to pick up, thinking a little bit too much. But he showed more confusion last week and then growth and development and how he ran plays. I mean, the arrows, again, I hate to be so cliche, but the arrows point up on these guys. And I don't know uh, where those arrows stop or where the elevator stops, so to say, so to speak. Stingley, I talked about him earlier. Uh, no much, not much more for me to add, add to this. Ad, wasn't tried really a lot in this game. Uh, the Sutton big PI the week before and giving up some zone catches. Uh, they they went after him a bit, but he made some plays with Sutton as well. It's great to see the response um, from him because you don't see no lack of confidence in Derek Stingley Jr. Now he's not outlandish. He's not going to 
be the one that's just barking at you and everything, but his game speaks volumes and it speaks volumes in every level, his hands, his angles, his speed, the heart. He goes flying up one time and there's a pulling guard and he hits him right in the chest, knowing that there's no way from the beat that block or make the tackle. But if he sacrifices his body, then the linebacker is going to come in and feel behind him. And that's exactly what he did without hesitation. Jalen Petrie does the same exact thing in that game against the bears. Then when Herbert, uh, when I believe it was a play, the big run play for Herbert where Owens misses the tackle. Stingley comes from the complete other side of the field. And like a vet, like you would expect to see a rookie, even a high first round pick, to come flying full pace, try to make a tackle or something and panic trying to cut off the yak. Stinkley understood the play so much. He comes flying with the speed, with the proper angle. Then when he gets in close, instead of trying to make a careless tackle, giving up another extra yard or two at that point on a 50-plus yard play is worth it rather than missing the tackle and giving up 20-plus yards or whatever was left before the end zone and a touchdown. He comes in and Herbert, who had got many Texans players before that with a stiff arm, tries to put the stiff arm out there. Stingley bats it down violently, reaches out again, hits him down again to pull him in and just basically bulldogs him into the dirt. This is a cornerback, a young 21-year-old cornerback in a big play, playing it like a vet. The dude's so well-rounded, has such the physique and talent and skill set and God-given ability in mind that if he hits on everything the way he's showing, I don't want to throw the comparisons out there. You know what I'm thinking about. All right, last two rookies, Thomas Booker, Troy Harrison. I like Troy Harrison, what he showed uh, in camp, what he showed most of the part early this year. This was a game where he had a couple plays he'd rather have back. A lot of people talked about, um, you know, that third and one. And down there in the goal line where if Texans get in, they score that touchdown. I think at that point it puts them up 24-20. They end up losing that game, you know, uh, <clears throat> losing that game by field goals. I mean, that could be the game-winning touchdown if you're not kicking a field goal there. So they settle for the field goal. But what happened on the play was in Damian Pierce. Harrison comes up, tries to fill a gap, and he gets beat. Uh, he doesn't. The guy beats the block on, by Harrison, gets in there, and coming from the other end, Tunsil tries to get to the second level and gets beat by a linebacker. And both of these guys blow up Damian Pierce. I mean, he's two, three yards dead in the backfield. It's not on the running back. And it's not on the play called by Pierce there. You need the guys to execute. And like I said, you know, it's easy. As someone told me earlier, like, well, Tunsil doesn't try in the running game. Hey, I don't know what they're watching. Tunsil, uh, <laughs> if you're going to complain about a lot of guys on the Texans, Tunsil's not going to be one of them for me. This dude is an exceptional talent. He's actually gotten better this year. And while he did have two blocks on the second level in the running game that got away from it wasn't from lack of of trying uh technique still has to be there he still has to improve in that area but i mean he walls off like a like a damn wall i mean those linebackers i mean those d linemen aren't getting over across from him on those running plays and he did well getting the second level on many other plays it's just the pivotal plays the big plays that's what sticks out in our minds and errors for the offensive line sticks out you make 10 great plays in the uh, in a row as an offensive lineman, you miss one bad one. Everyone's going to remember that one. And so uh, I wouldn't get too much down on Tonsil. Harrison on that play, though, he had that play. In a, he had a couple plays in this game where he missed some blocks. That one from him and Tonsil did, did really hurt the Texans, though. Thomas Booker, 
Uh, he had a play in the fourth quarter where he really finally showed his potential. He hadn't shown much before that. Uh, fourth quarter, need to stop a run, coming to his size. He had get off power and push, and Jonathan Grenard right there next to him. They kill it. Grenard's got the edge and goes and finishes the tackle there on Herbert. Hopefully, Thomas Booker is figuring out because earlier in that game, and for the most part, early in his career, he is not forcing his will on opposing offensive linemen. You see guys, especially guys with the thighs and build and strength of Thomas Booker, you expect him on that defensive line position to be able to get flat down the line and make plays. That's what you expect. Malik Collins did it last week. I illustrated a play on it. But Booker's not doing that yet. He's getting moved two, three, four yards off the spot while he's trying to get flat down the line. Even when he's holding stout to position, his change of directions limited him to be able to close on those running backs and finish uh, finish tackles. And as some of it maybe he's still thinking a little bit too much more. But uh, that play in the fourth quarter, though, uh, one of the last things we saw from one of his best plays in his young career. Like I said, hopefully he's figuring out uh, he's not as thinking as much and is starting to click. But that's our that's our thoughts this week on the week three review in the NFL on the Texans game and the look ahead to week four against the Chargers at home. Justin Herbert against Davis Mills year two. Know how it ended last year. Can they repeat the feat at NRG this week for Aaron Wilson, Jonathan Danger Cole, Mark Larson? I'm Jason Braddock. And that's episode 10 of the Houston football show from Prime Social and Inside Edge. This has been the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge.